Hey everyone, welcome to App Lab, the podcast where we break open the world of app development, demystify the building process, and share stories and tips from experts. My name is Ishmay Xavier. I produce content over at AppGyver. My name is Gabriela Chinakeita. Uh, I do creative content at React Seals. And each episode, we will tackle slightly different topics about application development, but it will always be about the passion for building and empowering you to do so. In this first episode, we talked to Axel Ibertanen. He's the head of developer inspiration at AppGyver. And we got around to chatting about things like why software development is actually 99% failure, how thinking like an eight-year-old can actually benefit the learning process, and what does a head of developer inspiration actually do? So lots of great advice and experiences packed into this episode. Let's go. Hey, Axel, welcome and thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. And it's nice to be in this here. <laughs> Axel, you mentioned that you started uh, without even seeing the office and everything. So could you give us a brief uh, story? How did you got started in this position with the AppGyver? Uh, sure. So, so, uh, so prior to AppGyver, I was working as a as a consultant in basically like building web-based applications and and that sort of thing. And and prior to that, like quite recently, still like I've I've spent about like a decade of my life like as a developer building building like different kinds of web applications, mostly in like JavaScript stacks and and things like that. And I think I was like within the last couple of years, I was thinking like, what what do I really want to do and what would be interesting? And I was like, I, I want to work with like somehow more closely in solving problems because I think a lot of like like sort of traditional software development tends to be managing the code and managing the like various parts of the the kind of like the whole ecosystem and things and it can be kind of slow and and the same things kind of happen over and over so so i was like i want to have some kind of different perspective and i honestly had no idea that you know like head of developer inspiration is a thing that you can do or that i would be doing it <laughs> so so but i was i was kind of in these channels where you look for for jobs and then then i had all kinds of discussions and offers and things and then i just ended up talking like about like this opportunity and i was like what what is like i had the same question like what does a head of developer inspiration do but then as we talked with them we quickly kind of realized that we have like some similar thoughts about like where the software industry is going and and what are the like key issues and how they could be tackled and yeah it has been really interesting now being in this role have you kind of found your answer to that question of what the head of developer inspiration does uh well well the current answer is is that uh, i try to sort of see the see the like the product as it were like composer and app driver from the point of view of a of a software developer and i mean this this as in i think people who don't have a technical background like once they start making apps in, in whatever tool or app driver then they become software developers so i'm trying to see it from the like user perspective like how could it be 
as smooth as possible to kind of learn the platform and make use of all the tools. Because I think the thing thing about like basically all kinds of things that you can make software and apps with is that that it's quite easy to prove that you can do things, but it's more difficult to communicate how to do them and how to like actually make use of the platform. So I think the the learning experience and being able to to like grow your skills on the platform is like equally important to the like tool itself because if like at the end of the day it doesn't help you if the tool can do something if you can't learn how to do it like that's right that's one of the things so you kind of wanted to be more closer to the user and teach them right how to use these tools and feel like a like an actual person who can create uh things that others can use right yeah yeah i i suppose so like i i've i've always enjoyed working with like kind of educational or or that sort type of content so i've to i've this far i've on my career i've always taken every opportunity to like especially like give talks to beginners or or have like little courses on on how to do basic things because but it it has been kind of this sort of side thing that I sort of get to do as part of the like previous jobs. But now now it's interestingly is my my main job is to do it all the time. So so that's a switch. You mentioned uh, I remember you mentioned to me once that you've done workshops for adults and then you've also done workshops for eight year old kids. Oh, so wow. uh, maybe what yeah what's like. Um, what would you say is the difference in in teaching these concepts to let's say children and then teaching it to adults? Well, the first thing is that um, adults uh, have usually, especially if they don't have a technical background, like they've usually very much decided if they are able to do these things or not. So, so people will say things like, "I am not very very technical," so it's like this. And then I'm like, well, how can you possibly know that? Yeah. Like, that's not a sort of DNA attribute. <laughs> you haven't tried it. Yeah. I say that. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, it's, you didn't. Yeah. Where, whereas, you know, like, um, I think it would, it, it helps if you watch like seven or eight year olds learn things because they haven't yeah. yet like, like sort of assumed any personality in terms of like what they can and can't do. Like it's, it's a sort yeah. of like this more open so so for them the problems are more practical it's like how how do i do this or why doesn't this work but adults have to struggle with this whole like i am not a technical person i can't understand programming yeah. type of deal which are all like like i i assure that like almost anyone can understand programming and and things it's just about like investment of time and effort exactly that thing but yeah it's not and it's also not like easy to overcome like i know like i've had things in in other things where i'm like well i'm not that type of person like for example for a for a long time i was like i'm not a musical person so i can't learn how to play an instrument and then it turns out that i can but i i have to play the instrument to to you know i have to do the work Practice. like it doesn't come naturally but there's nothing but there's nothing and yeah i don't have perfect pitch and no like 
like of course you know like some people might have this like savant abilities for or affinities for things but i think but if you think it more in terms of like well like is anyone like naturally able to like cook well well mm-hmm. no really it's something that you've learned like throughout your life and then eventually you become like sort of semi decent at it so yes so i think a lot of people say that they can't program before they have even really tried mm-hmm. like i think that's the thing so the lesson is think like an 8 year old don't scare to fail particularly software development it's like it's like 99% failure and that's that's like i think the hard thing about it is that you will you will do a lot of wrong wrong things and it's and you will have the wrong ideas about things and then they will become correct ideas but yeah, that was i think yeah i think that was the first thing that i learned <clears throat> at react seals uh, while being surrounded by tech people that no matter what you get if you say you're going to do something do it and if it's not perfect just ship it just release it and then you know develop it and perfect it later in the process and it's it doesn't matter if it's like very bad at first it will get better but you just have to take the step yeah i i think like definitely software development is is not for people who are perfectionists so so that's a like thing that you need to let it, let go of is is like this idea that i'm only going to succeed and it's never never going to fail in any way because actually the the failing is the learning because oh. the th- thing about software is that the correct solution once you have it is going to be incredibly uh, obvious once you arrive there because then it's like the code is there and then you can be like yeah that's the way it's supposed to work and and that's the correct answer but then the the like but the thing is that you can never see the work like how much work went into into like actually finding that solution and and that usually requires a lot of like wrong answers at first can you think of a particular time and now that you said software development is 99% failure so maybe there's going to be a lot of examples of this but um can you maybe tell us about a a specific time uh when you really struggled with something or when you just flat out failed at building something and um maybe you had some kind of a learning from that experience oh there there would be plenty of examples i mean i i think as a software developer like one of the worst things for you is always to is see like past code from from years before and be like like oh that that's that's really awful why why has someone done it in this way and like that's not good at all <laughs> well i remember one time particularly when i was still in school and i was i was like doing doing some school project and and i got a call from like the administrators of some server because i had completely crashed it with with some code that mm. kept sending more and more sort of requests oh, no. at it yeah it just kept multiplying like the like it was an example where the solution was great uh, as long as you had like a limited number of users and and then then um but it just kept like replicating more and more connections and and then there was a connection limit and then then the connection limit ran out and then the server crashed and and it's a it's a nice feeling when uh you you're being called to tell you that you have screwed up and you should fix it but um 
Yeah, that sounds pretty serious. <laughs> but but the the lesson there is that um, I I I kind of like on that day I I got a sort of epiphany about like how scaling works, and and I think I still like instinctively think about like like how how does this kind of thing scale, and that you have to sort of like when you're doing something you have to do this multiplications in your head like okay so this is how it works for one user but what if there's like a thousand users will it still work and and that sort of because um again like a lot of programming and software development is really simple in principle but then it all depends on the circumstances and it's a completely different thing to do something that uh do a solution where it's like gets executed once in some some um I don't know, some background process that you control and you know that it happens exactly once a day. So you can do stuff there that you can't do if it's if it can't be requested by a thousand people at once. So I think that's that's like right. the lesson there is, is that like it's it's never just about knowing how to do something, but you have to place it in the like correct context for how it's going to be used. And I think scaling is definitely something that our users, um, at least at AppGyver, think a lot about because when you're creating um, an application on, on AppGyver, at least, you're always kind of thinking about how is this going to be once it scales and once my operations get bigger. Yeah, and yeah, and there's a there's of course a lot of a lot, lot of things like like for example, AppGyver takes a let uh, takes care of a lot of the scaling for you, but there's still definitely like things that you need to think about. Like and and another example of scaling is that like um, when designing just simple layouts, like like I've I've seen like professional designers fail to sort of think about okay so so it looks nice when the headline has like five words but what if this person types like nine words into the headline and it doesn't look nice anymore so that that's the kind of that's also like fundamentally like a like a context and scaling issue is that w- what if my content is different from what i assume it's going to be and similar kind of um, in principle similar problem what do you think is the biggest challenge for someone without a programming background and he wants to build something? Often people say things like, well, it would be cool to build this kind of app or, you know, like, 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 let's say like some sort of social networking app or like, I want to build like a clone of Pokemon Go and, and the thing about that is that usually at that stage when you say that, and this also applies to like professional software developers is that you have no idea actually what the thing is that you're talking about so so if we just say like some some app's name and and this is of course what should be happening is that is that people do complicated things and then then we get simple products but the the other thing that happens here is that it's not easy to understand these products. Like it's it's not obvious that if you use Netflix that you understand how Netflix works. And therefore you can say things like, I, I it would be cool to have like the Netflix for this. And then but that but to do that, then you would first have to do the work of understanding what Netflix actually is. So so like how do the 
background operations work and how is the app built and where does the data actually come from? And I think a lot of apps, like if you start a project, like like you will do quite well when designing the UI and, and kind of the functionality, but then you will quickly run into problems when you start thinking about like, okay, so what 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 is actually the data that I need or what are the background systems that I need to run this mm. thing or how it's all going to, like, how does the timing work? Like, when do I need to send this message here and, and so on? So I think uh, it would help a lot of people if they would take something that they use like that they're familiar as users of and then they would really try to sort of find out and you can actually find out like there there's a lot of like really public material about yeah. like how how several platforms and things work and and diagrams about like how the servers are wired and how the like events and timings and everything works but it would help a lot of people if they learned how something that they are familiar with actually works or would try to would try to sort of like mm -hmm. even even on a even on a like this level that okay so first i go into the login screen and then i type in my email but if the email is wrong then actually there's validation okay so we need a thing that tells us like what what's a correct and what's an incorrect email and then there's a password Okay, so so we need to have some way that it checks that this this email and password combination is valid, and if that happens, then we are transferred to another view. So that means that this application probably has multiple views, and then you know, and and so on, like like actually sort of analyzing something because our software development is is this kind of process of reverse analysis. So you go from mm. like an idea that that hey it would be cool if there was something like this and then you have to be kind of like the construction engineer and be like okay so how do we actually make that happen like yes. from these bits that we have but the problem is that you start with something that is a kind of like very abstract idea or a very kind of simple ui but then you would have to understand what is happening in it in in a more deep way it, which process then is um, more complicated because you have to think a lot of stuff before even starting to develop an actual, you know, either it's MVP or the product. So maybe the the process of thinking every small step and possible action is actually way more complicated than everyone thinks. Yeah, it it, it definitely is, and I I think. Um... So so even during my my kind of like not not so long career in in software development like mm -hmm. the the mentality has shifted a lot because I think when I started the mentality was kind of this engineering mentality that we have a specification and then if we give the specification uh, to these uh, like software people then they can build it and then it'll be fine and and we've moved uh, quite far from that with the idea that actually what we need to do is kind of this iterative design and implementation and kind of figure things out step by step. So I would, I, so I would say that the design process is kind of what I see now is, is very um, integral to any kind of software development. So, so, and, and you can do design in like a variety of ways. And I don't think there is like a, 
correct way of designing things. But it's usually this process where you're trying to get a better understanding of the problem. And I think this, like this sort of, so so what is hard about software development is that I think uh, people often spend slightly too much time trying to do things before figuring out what their actual problem is. So So they will start like, trying to build something without having an idea what they're trying to build. And right. that's that's going to be a very difficult way of like achieving it. So what you should do is like figure out some piece of a of a thing. So like let's say you've never never done an application, but but you could figure this thing out that okay, it seems that applications have like these different views and then when I press buttons or when I swipe or something happens then the view kind of changes or I can I can bring out a details page or something like that and then you could be like okay so so in the tool like let's say AppGyver what what would be a way that I could represent these different views and and these interactions like how could I move from another view to a to a different view and then like and then you figured out your problem. So, so I, so my problem is that I want to have different views, and then I want to move between them. How, how can I implement it in the in this like tool that I'm using? And now, now you have like a much better problem because you have some like your problem isn't like I want to build an app, but it's like okay, I want I need to have views, and I need to have ways to move between them. Like this is this is how we make the problem more understandable, basically. It is a completely different way of thinking, I think, for for a lot of people coming from from other backgrounds, because what you just described, I mean, to me, the way that I would approach a problem, it's it's kind of backwards in a way. So, yeah, I think, yeah, framing framing things correctly and getting your mentality set up in the right way is probably a good place to start. Yeah, I, I could kind of like throw another like metaphor there. So So if you think about like, writing a book or even writing an essay then like maybe some people will in fact start with like just like they start with the blank page and then they start typing and then the essay is done but i think a lot of people would first try to get an outline of like so so what is this essay about and like like what are the things that i need to mention here and and so on so it's not not like this sort of uh, straightforward that I start typing and then the thing is done. And I think this is kind of like very analogous to programming in that that you shouldn't just start typing and expect to get a great result out of that. Oh, you mentioned writing essays, but actually I used to leave all of my essays in college up until the last minute, so I wouldn't have time to make <laughs> outlines. So I would just have to start typing and go straight until the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why, that's why you need some time to do design. <laughs> <laughs> no time, no time. <laughs> okay, so um, so now you know you mentioned you know your how you have this similar vision with the the team at AppGyver for for the future of software development. So uh, maybe you can tell us about that. You know what what are you most excited about? Uh, to what do you see happening in the future of app development? Um, maybe what are some things that you would want to see happen in the next several years? Well, first of all, I think let's let's talk a little bit about like the the no code and and kind of visual programming yeah. thing. So so I've been thinking about this because I'm, I'm getting into a lot of situations where I have to explain what no code is and 
and how it ties into visual programming and and other things. And um, I think people are under this idea that there is currently that there is kind of like no code tools and visual programming, and then there is something that's kind of like um, in quotes like real programming languages. And and I find this discussion very amusing because like if you then worked with any programming languages, then you know that that uh, definitely this same discussion has always been going on with programming. And, and usually anytime anything is made more straightforward or simpler, people bring about this kind of idea that, but can you do everything now with it? So, and this was true when like uh, JavaScript wasn't, uh, it's, not, it's now like JavaScript is, is everywhere and it's used by everyone. And it's a, it's a very sort of, um, kind of valued skill. But when I started out in programming, like JavaScript was the silly thing that's in browsers and it's not like uh, fit for any any kind of um, serious programming, which you have to do in serious programming languages, which are on the back end and are mostly dead and gone by now. Um, and, and the thing about that is that I think people bring this forward because they feel like there has to be some sort of trade-off with with like simplicity and and of course the other reason is that they've invested a lot of time like i like i could have this opinion that that uh but visual programming can't do the same things as javascript because i've invested a lot of time in like a decade of my life learning javascript and i'm very kind of okay with it now but there isn't a fundamental difference in having simpler or more straightforward coding languages and having visual programming and no code tools kind of like instead of or in addition to those like simpler programming languages so so ada lovelace the the kind of the the mother of programming and algorithms sort of in in history like like she worked with punch cards and i bet she could have this opinion that but you know like the, the, those programming languages that you type in your text editors like that's not real programming because because punch cards are real programming and you can do everything with punch cards and and the thing is that this is always true that you yeah you end up trading off some things when you transform into a simpler language so just to give an example yes it's you can do certain things in javascript that you can't do in in like no code tools but you can do certain things in in assembler or c++ which you can't do in javascript and yet we're totally fine with having javascript as a as a language because it it really comes to the uh, other important concept of like how much how much of the same boilerplate work do you want to do over and over and I think what no-code tools are are showing us is that building apps like you don't always have to start from the like the baseline of having an empty text file and then starting to write code in there. That we can actually find abstractions and levels where where things can be built from like these slightly larger pieces and then still be very flexibly wired together. 
And and I think that has always been the story of like programming languages and technology. And and one thing that really exemplifies is that I don't think there is any single person who knows uh, how everything in a modern laptop computer works. Like there's people who know quite a lot, but then there's usually some level, like let's say if you get down into the electronics of how the like the CPU is actually physically built, then I doubt there is a single person who knows how all the layers works. And this is fine. This is like what we intend to happen with technology is that we want to build on top of what already exists. And and I think when no code and visual programming tools become more sophisticated and more more widely available, people will discover, like I have, that that it's actually more fun to do these things uh, when you don't have to do the same things over and over again. And and that doesn't mean that, you know, this somehow invalidates like programming. Yeah. There are still people who work on like writing very, very core stuff on, on chipsets for computers and phones. But the point is that those people do it so that 99% of programmers don't have to do it. And and that should be the same idea for apps is that we should have platforms where you don't have to like start from scratch every time when you want to do an application. So I think that's the big story. And and in terms of like what I want to see happen and what I believe is going to happen is that we're going to have more solutions like this and we're going to have like better better abstractions. And, and, and the thing about this is also that if you think about how the number of developers have increased is that in the world and in the workforce is that I can assure you that if we didn't have languages like JavaScript and if we didn't have like cloud computing, we wouldn't have as many programmers because we simply couldn't be as efficient with everything because what what the cloud computing like what what Amazon and and like Google have enabled is to people be to be able to do much more things. And, and that's fundamentally what's what's exciting to me about like AppGyver and no code is that it will enable people uh, who don't have 10 years to spend time learning programming to do things. And that's really exciting because it opens up like like a lot of new possibilities for everyone. And I think that that's something that people should be excited about rather than yes. like having these discussions like about can specific tool do the X thing or not. Like right. it's, it's like you should think it more in terms of like efficiency that we're we're constantly adding more efficiency to the system and we new possibilities. Yeah, definitely. And I think this could be serve as a real eye opener for some developers who are maybe, you know, feeling frustrated or just looking for something new and innovative. Yeah. And looking further ahead into the future, this is only a half serious question, but do you think we'll be at a point where it'll be like that scene in Star Trek where one of the characters in Star Trek speaks into the computer and tells it what it wants to do? Do you think we'll get there? Well, you know, I was I was always myself a more Star Wars guy, so <laughs> so but I have some memories of, of Star Trek. Uh yeah, I think I think in some way I, I think like we don't in terms of like intelligence like we don't know enough about like how human brains work so that we could we could build build a replica but i think in terms of like uh making something seem 
slightly magical. I think that's something that we can do. And I think that's people, but but the thing about that is that once that happens, you'll be uh, used to it and you will not think it's very special. You know, like like nowadays we have, a, <laughs> like we're talking on the internet in in quite crisp and beautiful audio quality and and we all have a phone that does amazing things, but we're not impressed at all by them. But if you, <laughs> I recommend people to like look at their phone and just contemplate like what what it has taken to arrive at this point and and be sort of like amazed and maybe remember like like ten years back what phones were like and and be like this is magic. This is not like real at all. Exactly. I was just thinking about that how technology changed. And actually, yeah, to be able to 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 see what was because I remember my first phone and yeah, it it wasn't at all like the new iPhone that I have. But I think it's amazing how it enables, as you said, actually, to to enables more creativity and enables more creative people to actually do stuff that they want without uh, development knowledge. Because, for example, I could also think of a project and to finish that project, I would need an application or something. And then, you know, if if it wouldn't be possible to create without no-code platform, I would probably just drop the idea because it would be too much work, you know, to find a developer, to 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 think about all the process. And yeah, that's why I also uh, really enjoy enjoy that technology is going to the to the place where it enables more people. Yeah, and, and and something that I I learned as a as a consultant is that, um, and it may sound like this only concerns like you know entrepreneurs or people making their own apps, but but really if you take like a large corporation, there, there's a lot of and I I ran into this constantly when 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 I was doing consulting, is that there's a lot of things that people would like to do and corporations would like to do, but the cost of building the things is is too much with the full development team or even trying out an idea. And I think no code is going to be brilliant in that instead of spending a month creating a prototype, it can be done and, and having like a team, it can be done like potentially by one person. And that's going to be like hugely efficient in just like finding out like what is even worth doing. So that's that's going to be really exciting for like even large enterprises because because you can simply get more out of the always limited budget. Yes. Yes, definitely. And it will be really exciting to kind of see how this progresses in the next several years, especially within the context of larger companies. Thank you for that, Axeli. So uh, at this point, we can kind of switch gears a little bit to wrap things up. So at this point, we'll kind of do a little, we'll bring in our our love of, our shared love of pop culture into this conversation about um, about app development. So here we go. We're going to give you a choice of movies, and then you're going to pick one, and then you guessed it. You're going to have to come up with an app that that main character could use in the situation, in the context of the movie. Okay. So, <laughs> so you have a choice between Spider-Man, Inception, and do you want to think of another movie, Gabs? Yeah, then we can do Star Wars. Which Star Wars? <laughs> Damn, I have seen only first one. <laughs> Phantom Menace? Uh, Phantom Menace is terrible. Okay, so actually, you have a choice between Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, Inception, and Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. 
I'm actually one of the the weird people who still hasn't seen Inception, so so I'm yeah. gonna go with Star Wars. But but we'll 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 go with a New Hope if you don't mind. Okay. Phantom Menace is truly terrible. It is yes. <laughs> All right. So a New Hope. And now we've offended thousands of people with this. Comment. I I think that they don't have to listen I'm, to this. We are sorry, Phantom Menace. Fans. <laughs> I think we're better off without them. No, just kidding. <laughs> okay. So a New Hope, Star Wars, classic film. What's the app that you would? recommend what's the app that you would create for this for a character in their situation i'm i'm gonna go when they're when they're inside the millennium falcon and and there's this uh very impressive but slightly impractical scene where you know if you remember there's kind of this fixed table and some couches and then on the table you can you can play like this holo chess kind of thing so so the way i would change that in this this world is that i would put the holo chess as an app in your phone and then i would be it would be able to kind of project it like anywhere instead of having like this kind of big table in in the middle of your spaceship yes okay and i know because because microsoft also had this idea where they they tried to sell you a big table that was a touch screen and i don't think it did very well uh -huh. so. <laughs> okay so it's already been invalidated somewhere <laughs> by microsoft. yeah yeah i don't think that that sort of uh, caught caught on <laughs> awesome so. okay awesome answer thank you so much Axel Virtanen, super exciting stuff. Great to have you here. And uh, people can follow you on Twitter, if that's all right. We can include your yeah, yep. Twitter handle in the info for this episode. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.